the city repealed a law prohibiting animals from public businesses today. And finally tonight... We built this city! There. Now it's in your head, too. We built this city on rock and roll. Built this city. We built this city on rock and roll. This is 80s Ultrafade. Anatomy of a song. Martin Page. Oh, yeah. We built this city. Start it. Say you don't know me. I recognize my face. Say you don't care who goes to that kind of place. Knee deep in the hoopla. Sinking in your fight. Welcome to Atisography and the second part of our Martin Page trilogy. Uh, this one is his role in the writing of We Built the City. Bernie Torpin wrote the lyric and Martin wrote the tune, with two others getting writing credits, as Martin will explain. Uh, there'll be a full My Atisography episode with Martin later in the series, um, but there are references in this chat that will make sense in that context. Uh, especially football references, Martin uh, almost played professionally for Southampton that's soccer football and also to Felicity Kendall which again will make a lot of sense here uh, but ignore that focus on We Built the City a song I genuinely and unironically love oh guilty pleasure concept go fuck thyself so enjoy the chat with Martin Page on a true 80s classic the interview starts now the initial concept of Bernie Taupin, um, where did that come from? And is it true that these dreams and We Built the City were the first two lyrics you were given by Bernie? It is true that those were the first two lyrics. I believe he sent me a third one, maybe with these dreams, called We Are Romantics. And you can tell there he's, re- he think, he's thinking that he's working with a kid who's doing 80s music. Mm. Um, so I think, but definitely We Built the City and these dreams came first to me. Uh, it, they were trial songs for Bernie to see if he wanted to work with me. Uh, that period I was talking about where uh, I was the new kid in town with the, with the synthesizers. The A&R man uh, used to try and put us with people uh, and me with different artists to rev them up and change their sound. Well, a publisher at Chapel who handled Bernie Taupin said, how would you like working with Bernie Taupin? He needs to be turned on. He's not working without him at the moment. He's lying around the swimming pool too much. We want to get him going. And I said, oh, I'm a huge fan of Alton John. I'm a huge fan of Bernie. He's one of the greatest lyricists of all time. Uh, the Goodbye Olympic Road and Tumbleweed Connection. I know everything about it. I'm an addict. I'd love to work with him. So they set up a, a meeting at, his, at a restaurant. And again, we got on. A lot of humor. I was with him and the publisher at a restaurant. And I was telling him, you know, how I'd grown up on his music. And he was very natural. And we had a good time together. And then... <laughs> he's, they, I think the publisher gave him the Q-Phil album And I thought, well, that's the death knell <laughs> If he listens to Dancing in Heaven and Q-Phil He's never going to want to work with me now He's going to hate it Dancing in heaven I never thought I'd ever get my feet this far But he did listen to it and he didn't totally hate it. He said, that's interesting. He said, I find that record interesting and I wouldn't mind trying something with you, Martin. I'll send you some lyrics. And my fax machine went, you know, like a ticker tape on a football match. You know, go, 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 go. All the lyrics started coming through. Grimsby Neil, Doncaster. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> the Vinnie Prince. That, that, was, that wasn't the lyric, by the way. That was no. not the lyric. Um, <laughs> First draft. And I, 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 and I wanted to impress Bernie so much. I, I just, all I wanted to do was impress him. So I took the lyrics and um, we built the city, came with These Dreams. These Dreams was not called These Dreams. It was called Boys in the Mist. And it was initially, he told me, written for Stevie Nicks of Fleetwood Mac. And she didn't want to do it or didn't understand it or whatever. And um, you can so hear her singing these dreams. Absolutely, Mark. Absolutely. Yeah. You can see you can see that Bernie wrote it for her. You can see it. The tune as well. It just seems perfect for Stevie Nicks. Yeah, and I wasn't I wasn't thinking of her. Uh, I was thinking, but believe it or not, with these dreams, I was thinking of doing something like orchestra maneuvers in the dark. I was still right, thinking, yeah. like we said, Q Phil. I, I I said I thought this is Candle in the Wind by Orchestra Maneuvers in the Dark. And when I finished it, I didn't like the word boys in the mist i just thought that doesn't appeal to me but i i thought these dreams which was in the bridge i think i can make something of that in the chorus so i called him really nervously and said hey bernie you know i know we haven't written together before but do you mind if i use the bridge as the chorus and change a few things and he said no it's fine he said elton sometimes does that so um i made the song called i made it into these dreams and boys in the mist is just in, in the song Did the two demos on a little eight track, Fostex, really worked on them, really tried hard on just on eight tracks. All I wanted to do was impress Bernie, made a cassette of the two songs, sent them to him and waited nervously to see if he thought, oh my God, what a mess. I don't want to work with this bloke. But he called me up and he said, I really like these songs. I really like it. I mean, uh, Bernie Taupin comes into the 80s and he said, uh, this is a breath of fresh air for me. And so that's all I wanted to win. I just wanted Bernie to work with me again. I just thought I'm working with one of the greatest lyricists of all time. And although I, I'm not doing Elton, I don't sound like Elton. I am doing quite sophisticated chor choral music, a chordal music with his lyrics. I mean, I revere his lyrics. I've still got a folder upstairs of lyrics I haven't worked on. And um, they're magical. I mean, Bernie never repeats himself. So for me, I think it was a huge leap in my career. You know, again, I'm going to say soccer. It's like I was suddenly pushed into a, the first team. Bernie lifted my music. You know, I, I might have helped Bernie go into a new, fresh area. But by having Bernie's lyrics there, it multiplied my strengths. And um, I think it was a great, great mixture. So we got, those were the first two songs. And quite quickly, they got picked up. My manager and, and Bernie's publisher started to send the, my demos out. And the motels wanted to record. We built the city, but they passed on it. And then I'd been working in the studios with a producer called Peter Wolf. Uh, he produced the Commodores uh, on one of my songs, Night, Animal Instinct, on the Night Shift album. liked me and he was in the he'd been in the frank zappa band and we made and i brought him in to work with maurice white so we became friends and he said have you got any songs hanging around and i gave him the cassette of those two songs and he he took these dreams to heart and he took we built the city which he produced with jeremy smith to starship so peter wolf was a conduit for me he was a guy who thought i wrote great and he he likes modern music he's an austrian and i'd done him favors by bringing him into maurice white's album as a keyboard player because he played with Frank Zappa. And I thought that would be great for Maurice to have such a complex keyboard player working with him. And then, and then Peter started to hear my songs and he really thought I was one of the, <laughs> one of the best songwriters he'd heard, which was very bizarre to me. And he said, anything you do, play it to me. 
and he, you know, King of Wishful Thinking was recorded by him as well, and uh, and some Starship songs. So that's how those two songs started. Um, and they were, as you say, I've, I've told a lot about it there in one question, but the two first lyrics he gave me were We Built This City and These Dreams, which was called Boys in the Mist, and another song called uh, We Are Romantics, which I really like and I finished, but it's never been cut. And we're off and running. And then Bernie got close to me and said, I like working with you. Um, let's do more work together. Okay, let's just let's backtrack a little bit. So, so when you had the initial offer to work with Bernie, was it daunting being basically the new Elton John? You're the guy doing melodies. Nope. <laughs> like Elton John did with Bernie Taupin. So was yeah. that intimidating? Was that exciting? I mean, that's quite a hey, it, it, You know, I, I was a younger man and I was I was ever so ambitious. Uh, everything was happening for me at that time. I didn't feel nervous because I, I'm not Elton John and nobody can touch Elton John. I'm a, I'm a different creature. I'm a different thing. Elton is brilliant. He's in another, another league to all of us. I just felt like I was bringing something else to the party. I was wanted to please Bernie. I was definitely tentative, but again, you know, if, if, before you go on the football pitch to play, it's not really nerves you have. It's it's expectancy. You want to get out there. You want to get going. And so when somebody says to me, do you want to work with Bernie Taupin? I, I you know, it's what are you going to say? No, I don't fancy it. I mean, it was like, I'll have a go. And of course, I was getting a bit of a reputation myself. I can't really see it now, but I was, as Bernie was in L.A., you know, when uh, he moved to L.A., he was the new kid on the block. He was the new, new, the new boy. I was becoming that in some kind of form where my name was going around all the record companies and they were calling saying, what's he got? Uh, what songs are you doing? Would you would you produce this guy? Would you work with this guy? So Bernie could see in me that I was very active and uh, fresh, you know. And so I, I felt it daunting, but also a great desire to win Bernie, uh, you know. And I didn't want to sound like Elton, you know. Uh, although some of the songs I wrote later on were very influenced and and m sounded a little bit because I, I honoured uh, Elton. That's what I was going to ask. Did you ever try and write an Elton John type melody to one of his lyrics? Without yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is the yes. most Elton John type melody you wrote for one of his lyrics. Uh, yes, I, th I would say that we wrote a song. I don't think anybody's cut it, but it's a, a brilliant song called "Closer to the Edge," and another song called um, um, "Oh God" on his on his solo album, "Citizen Jane," "Desperation yeah. Train." Yeah, "Desperation Train" particularly. I learned a lot from Elton, Elton's songbooks. You know, I, I studied his songbooks. I looked at his chords. I realized that he taught me a lot as a chordal player. He's classically trained. And I'm a great believer in bass notes of chords being different. And so harmonically, I studied Elton huge. No, I didn't want to copy him. I just wanted to get what he did so well, which was incredible chord progressions. You've only got to look at Goodbye Elevate Road and you've only got to look at Rocket Man and go, this this man is writing, you know, semi-classical music. And his melodies were phenomenal. It was a great honour to work with Elton when he sang on Bernie's album, which I produced. And, uh, you know, he sang on Billy Fury, a song we wrote about the 50s, and Elton was there and I was producing him. And, uh, you know, Elton is an icon. I put, I, I put Elton and Bernie in league with Lennon McCartney. I see those, Bernie and Elton as phenomenal songwriters of that period, the, of consistency. Nobody can touch the consistency of Lennon McCartney except for Elton and, and Bernie Taupin. And I became the other guy involved. Uh, they weren't very friend, friendly at the time I worked. Elton and, and, had chosen another lyricist, and um, Gary Osborne, I think. And I was working with Bernie, who wasn't really doing anything. 
And the ironic thing was, we had two number ones in a period of six months with those two songs. And Elton had never had, was writing with anybody else, a, num- yeah. a number one. I think, I, peeved, by, I, think so, I peeved Elton a bit as, as some interview clips I did in my um, John showing that he was like good humoured about it, but kind of you could tell he was a bit annoyed. No, he was a bit pissed off about it. I yeah. remember, I remember that because uh, even in his biographies now they talk about Bernie talk, walking away from Elton and having success when Elton wasn't, and that was with me. And they, they you know, mentions that he said Bernie, you know, linked up with another bloke, <laughs> me, and uh, he went straight to the top. Bernie's been doing so well on his own with this, you know, he's had number one in America with Heart and with the Jefferson Starship, um, much to my annoyance. Um, <laughs> I thought we might get that. No, no. Now, be serious about it. What do you actually feel in the back of your mind when I'm you grit your I'm, teeth and look at billboards? I do. I grit my teeth because I've always wanted to write hit songs for somebody else. Nobody's ever had a hit record of recording a song of mine ever. Torpin's obviously found someone that he can do it with, and I, I'm very pleased for him. Come on, I'm, I'm. I mean, I grit my teeth and think, you little swine. Because I desperately, that's one thing I've always wanted, apart from another one in England. I've always wanted to have somebody else have a hit with one of my songs. Yeah, and so it was. It was an interesting period. We had. Two number ones in six months, which was, you know, ludicrous, really. I mean, and even Bernie said, you know, when he's interviewed, he said it was such a, a good time. And, and we carried on, you know, and we got lots of other cuts with other people, not as quite as successful, but we did some really big film soundtracks together. And then he, he slowly went back to Elton, which was beautiful to see, because, you know, Bernie would always say, say you know, he's, he's where I started. And so I got very close to Bernie for a period of time. And I wanted to see them back together. And, you know, jumping forward, when I had a hit for my own song in the House of Stone and Light, Elton was second to me in the church with Believe. And I remember meeting him somewhere at Mercury Records. And I said, I'm so fortunate to be number one, mate. And he goes, yeah, yeah, it's a good song, though. And he said, but you've got to be able to do it continuously. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was like a nudge in the the spine, you know, like, I've been doing this for years, kids, and I'm going to be number one again. This is one, one, just a one hit for you for now, you know. So he he respected me, but I think he was very. I mean, he came into the studio to to sing on two of the songs I'd written for Bernie on Bernie's album. And he was ever so nice, ever so lovely. But I think it must have been something that he had to take a little bit because Bernie suddenly soared through to the charts as a number one artist and had a, and he got his own solo record with RCA. And, Bert, and Elton was struggling at that time with some of his albums. He didn't have a successful period through the eighties. And Bernie did, you know. Yeah, this is at a time when he was ha- definitely having a downturn with albums like Leather Jackets and that, yeah, that weren't particularly successful. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Abs- a single man, stuff like that, you know. Did you ever talk about the lyrics of Bernie? And I'm, I'm sorry, I have to mention it, the Marconi plays the mamba line. You probably get this. <laughs> For every interview, probably people ask you about the Marconi plays the mamba line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a thing. It's like Ghostbusters. It's like the biggest thing. Yeah, I said the episode, it sounds like a, a placeholder lyric that he didn't rewrite. No, no, he. that's how it came, you know. Um, it it might be a bit like the movie Brazil, that there was a typo on it. And, and I, uh, But I sang what I saw there, and I, you know, I, I put it down as I, as I wrote, as I sang it, as I saw it on his sheet. And I've still got the song. I've still got the piece. I've got the lyric, and I've showed it to people. I said, the see, that's what it is. Marconi played the mamba. The, the thing is, I saw it as, you know, Marconi, the first, you know, the, the first radio waves being sent. So I saw it as a briefly. And I, as I said to you before, when I sing Bernie's songs, as Elton has said in the past, you sing them visually and feel them. But you may not know exactly what you're singing at first. You just you get the feel of the song. Um, you don't analyze it too much. But it seems to be a thing that people get very, very confused by. They think it's a snake from from Brazil or something. And um and it means something. And all across the internet, I'm I'm fascinated because I know what the Beatles must have gone through when people analyze their lyrics, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, LSD. They think that this lyric means something really, really special. And I think when Bernie was asked about it recently, he said, I can't even remember writing it, mate. You know, it's just a, it came out. It was a thing. It feels good. It sounds good. We sing it. And um, that's the way we did it. And it's catchy. That, to me, in my demo, was the chorus. I first went, you know, Mark only played the man, but listen to the real. I thought that was the chorus. Yes. And I, I threw, I, and then they extended the We Built the City to make it into a chorus that the two people that joined us on the record and said, you know, for a small percentage, do you mind if we change a bit? And we said, no, it's our first cut. So we agreed to it with Peter Wolf and Dennis Lambert. 
that lyric became something which um, is quite laughable to me because if I write about it, you know, on my blog or something, I get more response on that lyric than anything I've ever written, ever. <laughs> than anything that seems to hit people. And, they, and people want to knock that lyric by Bernie. They, they want to say, that is garbage. What does it mean? And yet, if you look at that lyric, it's a tremendous uh, uh, sense of... Uh, oppression of music we were we, we we were writing about live music being shut down there wasn't much music going on down sunset boulevard the clubs were being shut and it wasn't becoming live anymore so the wrecking ball was going in and it's the corporations that are stopping live music are growing so we there was a kind of sense in that song that bernie was just mumbling nothing but there's a but really the whole idea of we built the city is that rock and roll and live music is being shut down by the corporations and it's ironic because people knock Starship for being a corporate band doing a pop song. But they're basically, that song, you know, has another meaning to it, which is we've got to keep live music alive and the young people have to, um, they've been pushed down by the corporation. So, you know, it's people just like to find, and Marconi plays the Mamba seems to be more important than the national anthem for some reason. I have no idea, that, but that, that lyric. Yeah. Was it Marconi plays the Mambo? Was that what it means? No, meant? Mamba. Mamba. But he meant Mamba, because Mamba is a snake, yeah. isn't it? It is, but we think that he probably meant Mambo. Yes, yeah, so that's he what I'm saying. So what he sent through to you uh, was Absolutely. Mambo. So I, I, that's what my manager thinks. Let's clarify. So this, is, this is so important, Martin. Let's clarify this. So it's, it's essential, yeah. right? This will save yeah. so many blog posts in the future, right? So yeah. he sent yeah. you Mamba, but he meant Mambo. Well, he's never even said anything about that. And I sang Mamba because it just sounded good when I sang, good, as I yeah. said, I believe in the sound. But we, but Diane, my manager, because we know we did something from instinct and even Bernie won't comment about it. Yeah. But we think, my manager thinks that, as you just said, that he probably meant Mambo, yeah. but on his typewritten lyric that came through in the fax machine, he put an A instead of an O. And okay. I sang it. But I'll never admit it. Now the world, the world can settle down now. They're working yeah, control themselves. Everything has been sorted out. Oh, I feel and you know that you know that movie Brazil? Yes. Yes. Great movie. You know when the when the insect goes across the typewriter? Oh yeah, it was an insect, yes, on his typewriter. <laughs> I, I, I'm, 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 I'm telling you, mate. I'm telling you. Yes. <laughs> Look at this. Look at this. It's a check. It's the refund for Tuttle. Tuttle? No, it's Buttle. I mean Buttle. It's been confusion from the word go. Uh, yeah. I see you, you. You get what I'm saying. I think Absolutely, something happened. Yes. So a, a fly came down as he was typing the O. And it <laughs> exactly it. That's exactly it. And when you uh, look at the lyric sheet, you might spot some, some fly blood there. around yeah. that around that point. <laughs> a smudge, a smudge or two. But no, I I, I believe because I don't really go into it after a song feels so good. But I, my manager is Diane. She's much more. She thinks as you do that. Uh, it's meant to be Mambo, but he typed Mamba and I sang it and that's what everybody sang, you know. Excellent. We've got that sorted. So um, yeah. the demo is really interesting because it, it is completely different, but the song is like 90% there. You can just hear it apart from the fact that the chorus is repeated, as you said, by... Very true. Very true. Yeah. Very true. But, but very it's true. a very different arrangement. It's got a very early 80s kind of pop, kind of new, yeah. kind of edgy feel. Yeah. Say I don't know me. I'm glad you feel that. Uh, Bernie and I both felt that. You know, when, when I was, when the record was recorded, we were very pleased that somebody was going to cut one of our songs. And uh, Peter Wolf said, come down to the studio and hear it. They were so excited about it. They thought they had a big hit. And I remember hearing it the first time and not liking it. I thought, oh, no, they've lost the, the darkness and the funk and the, yeah. the swing. So who did As you, you say, because you said OMD were like the These Dreams inspiration. So who did you hear in your head? when you're recording the demo for this? Well, if you, you know, I'll give this up again. I, I, I took the rhythm from Shock the Monkey by Peter Gable. Dun, 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 
and and so I I got into that space with it, and I was thinking again, Q Phil, Tom Dolby, and and eighties, uh, uh, but I was thinking of it being funky, and um, and they, my chorus was, you know, Mark only plays the member, and then then I just did it. We built the city on, and they as a refrain, and they put it in, and they doubled it, and they called us and said, you know, we think we've got a hit here, but do you mind us? taking a small percentage as writers to change the chorus a little bit. And we both talked about it, Bernie and I. We didn't think much of it because we thought it's probably not going to be a hit. It's an odd song, um, but we want to cut. Let's go with it. Also on the demo, as you can hear, I put in a, in, instead of a solo, because I wasn't really into solos and guitar solos, I was trying to be contemporary and modern. I just turned on the radio by luck yes. and recorded a police, re- a police report that was happening in somewhere down in LA. And I just called it straight off straight away and I thought well, that sounds interesting let's leave that you know there's a riot going going on um downtown And of course, Starship changed that into a DJ very, very cleverly, um, saying it's a you know a, a sunny day in San Francisco where the band originated from. Looking out over that Golden Gate Bridge on another gorgeous sunny Saturday, and I'm seeing that bumper and bumper traffic. Don't you remember? Your favorite radio station in your favorite radio city, the city by the bay, the city that rocks, the city that never sleeps. And then the record company put a different voice for every city in america uh, uh, cleveland you know alabama texas and everything so it really helped the record um, but when i heard it at the studio peter wolf said listen for this is it a hit and i was like oh no it sounds like a german march you know i don't like this it's all <laughs> it's too it's too regimented you know it's too cosmetic it's not funky even bernie in a recent review of rolling stone said you know the demo is a different creature and they jimmy rigged the record bernie wasn't a, fa- a, a fan of the record either as i saw it going up the charts i've said it many times you know you don't think much of it but as it was rising at such a speed i thought i'm probably missing something here this record probably has a lot going for it and just as i said to you about ghostbusters over the years when I hear Starship's rendition of it, I can see the appeal and I can see that they did a very good job in making this a great commercial handshake to everybody. My, my demo suits me and it would have been the way I would have recorded the song. And I was still in that Q feel, new, new wave vibe. But yeah, uh, the demo is, as you say, I think very, very, very rightly, Mark, it's, you think it's a different thing but 90 percent of that song is there i remember i went to ucla because sometimes i talk to students about songwriting and i played them the demo and i was a little bit nervous because it's such a rough demo you know it's, it's just an eight track and i'm singing falsetto and just trying to make the eight track work and then a lot of the students who are younger much younger than me they all piped up at the end and said oh we like that much better than the record <laughs> that's better, much better we said that's got vibe. That's and I thought how interesting that the, even the young kids now, when they hear the demo, they say there's something in that demo that we're attracted to. It's got a, a funk and a spunk about it and a dirtiness that you don't get with the record. But then you know that's commercial music, isn't it? You know things are always as a songwriter, I have to give up a little bit when when other people take my songs. They're gonna they're gonna change them. They're gonna wangle them and they're gonna turn them. And some become hits and some some don't. So. It's been a great song for me and Bernie, and Bernie's even commented saying he's put his kids through school on Mm. the royalties of We Built This City. It's the biggest song I've ever had, ever, and it still is. It's still being used in movies. And if if I'm talking to someone who doesn't know me and and I say, oh, I'm a songwriter, and they go, what did you write? And I go, We Built The City, and they go, We Built The City, just like Ghostbusters. (laughs) They're off, they're off, you know. And then I've got friends for life, so it's become... I don't think I've not got a song like that in my repertoire, repertoire that has that kind of iconic thing. You know, everybody wants to use we built this city for adverts. You know, we built yeah. this country on this. We built this manufacturer on this. So it's, it's one of those things. You've got to put it down to brilliant lyrics from Bernie. People want to knock the record, mainly because Starship were thought of as a deep uh, philosophical psychedelic 60s band. And suddenly they were having hits. Yeah. And of course, yeah. we, we built that they didn't like that. You know, suddenly Grace Slick is uh, on, on MTV all the time. So, but at the time we did it, and I can tell you this, Mark, although Grace Slick not, knocks it, Mickey Thomas doesn't, but at the time when they recorded it, they were thrilled with it. Even Grace Slick 
contributed to me getting my green card because she loved the song so much. They all wanted a hit, and they and uh, it's only in later years everybody tries to get a little bit a little bit sort of artistic and brave about saying they don't see it. It's a very easy pose to make after the fact when you've had absolutely, a... yeah. absolutely. Yeah. If, if you were if you were if you were with me in the studio when they were making it, they would have died for a hit single. And uh, as we all were, it's only in later years when people start picking on them because they're no longer the uh, underground San Francisco uh, psychedelic band doing White Rabbit that they all wanted, you know, many of the band wanted to say, oh, it's not what we're about, you know. But at the time, I can tell you, because I was there, they were um, extremely happy to have that success. So when did you find out the Starship were the band that were going to record the song? And were you there all the way through the recording process or was it just near the end? When you checked out the song, yeah, I was I was only involved at the end. They called me in. The producer Peter Wolf said, "Come and hear this. I want you to hear what we've done. It's brilliant." You know, we'd only finished the, the demo very quick, actually, within about three weeks. I got, uh, first the motels, we we're going to take it. Then they backed away, and then Peter Wolf said, "We're definitely going to cut this, but we think that the chorus should be changed. Do you mind if we get involved?" And of course, we at first we thought. Well, what's We Built the City going to be? You know, probably not a hit single. So let's just take, let's let the guys get involved, change it a bit for a small percentage. We'll let them become songwriters with us for a small percentage and let it go. And it went, it moved ever so. It was cut within three weeks of the demo, very fast, very fast. And These Dreams as well. Both those songs were picked up. And sometimes, you know, I can have a song circulating for a year or two years or even longer before it gets picked up. These two were picked up. Again, we're talking about the 80s, Mark, where people lived for songs. So cassettes. Uh, were being passed around between people and bands and producers and singers all the time. L.A. in the 80s was about songwriters. Every house in the valley had a studio in it. Everybody was calling for songs. If you're a songwriter, you were in L.A. or Nashville, a bit in New York, but really L.A. was the place. And um, you became a very important person if you're writing songs and it could prove that you could have success. So we got those songs cut quite quickly. And I think my luck and my success was because I was a chameleon. I didn't write in one style, you know, so you might get somebody like Diane Warren that writes ballads all the time. I was moving between lots of different styles, you know, between rock bands, uh, between soul bands, between classical, between even, as we said, you know, the American folk uh, rockana with, with Robbie Robertson. And so I was very fortunate that people would call me and say, put on your different hat and we want you to work with a reggae artist. And I, and I could do it. I could feel it because I had so many records and I'd grown up a fan. So it was a very, very exciting time. But again, very lucky that, we, I, that Bernie elevated my songwriting, which he has always done. And uh, we got them to the right artists. Uh, again, everybody was bouncing off each other. And we had two number ones in such a short time. So my career went ever so fast in the early of the 80s you know it might have been three months before that I was trying to see Felicity Kendall you know outside the studio <laughs> and then we had two number ones with Bernie Taupin so it's a bit unreal it is definitely an unreal unreal time for me to, to be honest meeting Felicity Kendall would have been the highlight of my career to tell you the truth I still pine for that I pine for it you know the good life years at a peak so it was dim yeah I mean when we finish dimple. when we finish I'm going to go on the internet and try and find some pictures of her again just to bring back the emotion oh, you know? just, yeah Set the heart. It'd be very romantic for me, yeah. So at what point did you realise the song was really taking off? It's going to be a massive hit. Was there a moment it was like, oh, wow, this is, this is big? Yeah, yeah, there, there was. Because, you know, you, I, I, was a, I knew how records moved because I knew all the A&R men. And I used to get reports from the record companies. My manager and I knew about, we would call the record company and say, Where, where's the record this week? I was, an, I was obsessive. I, would, I, was, I knew all the radio stations that were playing it. And I would call the radio stations to make them play it. I was really heavy about it. And so I would, every Monday, I would call uh, radio and records, a company that did the charts, or my manager would, and they'd, they'd give me a report. And they'd say, it's moved from 40 to 20. And as soon as you see that leap, that it's come in at 40 and top 100, and it's moved to 20, you know something's up, you can tell. And it's got a bullet. And in those days, you know, bullet next to the record meant that it was getting huge, huge push and it was mo and it was healthy. So you always wanted a bullet with your record. And uh, I can remember my mother was staying with me, come across from England and she predicted we built this city. She was very good. You know, she, my mum used to sometimes stay with me and I'd be writing a song in the studio and she'd bring me a cup of tea and she'd say, that's crap. Don't finish that. And every now and then she put her head around the corner and go, you should finish that. That's a hit. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, she, I, I'd show her the charts. I say, look, mum, that's we built this city. It's 32 this week. It's got a bullet. And she'd say, it's going to go to 27 next week. And I go, yeah, yeah. And it did. 
I swear, much. And she says, I go, well, look, we got in the top 30. It's my first top 30. Where's it going to go? She goes, oh, it's going to go a big leap. It's going to go up to 19, something like that. And I think it went up to 20, very near. Then we got to we got to five in the charts. Five, right? And I thought, well, that's just amazing. Top 10. And and I and I showed her the charts. And I used to get I used to get cash box and Rolling Stone and open it up on the for her to read. And I say, look, we're top five. And she goes, it's gonna be number one next week. I said, No, 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 no. No, 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 no song jumps from five to one. Lo and behold, mm. number one. And so um, you know, I used to ask my mum about all the records after that. She got everyone wrong after that. Every single <laughs> one's gone. <laughs> <laughs> that one moment. Oh. Just one moment. She was tuned in. She was tuned in at that time. That's and then I, I did I disregarded her after that. I said, You're no use. You're no use. <laughs> no use at all. So is the no, but it, it, we, we, we knew with that. Uh we knew because I I studied charts very hard and I used to be up very early on a Monday to buy the magazines that predict in those days, Cashbox and Rolling Stone. Not not the Rolling Stone. Um oh, what was the other one? Billboard. I think it was Billboard and Radio and Records, yeah. And um, I used to buy all three very early on. And I'd look, they, all the charts were a little bit different, but you could tell that you were healthy or not. And I could see, you could taste it because you get you get to know when you've got a failure. You know, I had a few records that went to the charts at like 70, might have got to 39 and it loses its bullet. So you go, okay, it's over. We're about to get relegated. But with this one, it was like there was a fire fireball under it. And I've seen that a few times before. And it was a little bit like that with these dreams. You can taste it. And it was very exciting because, um, and I think even for Bernie, even though he'd had so much success with Elton, I think for him to have had success without Elton was a big thing. He, yeah. he, it, it, proved that, it proved that he could do it with somebody else, you know, and I think that was, that was lovely for him as well. It was the 14th best sell- selling single uh, of 1985 in the US. And then oh, wow. over the years, oh. When we get to this century, there is a kind of a revisionist view of it, where you get this um, kind of negativity towards the song. It became like, almost like a whipping sure. of the greatest music. Um, so you to start in 2004, Blender magazine put it in their 50 most awesomely bad. Did, did you did you did you really have to mention that, Mark? Did you? No, that is did you, I mean, I'm making an important. Did you really point. have to mention? No, no, I'm making okay. a point. I genuinely love this song, right? So I'm making. Okay. A, okay, okay. I know where we're going. So this is going to be a painful minute, but it's to make. Okay. A, okay. So just okay. get through this. Okay. Then 20, and that was based on a VH1 special about the same title. Then 2011, Rolling Stone uh, put in his top 10 worst songs of the 80s. When everyone knows the worst song of the 80s is Karma Chameleon. Everyone knows that. You come and go, you come and go. 2016, <laughs> EQ said it's the worst song of all time. And this is the kind of thing that annoys me about it because it's okay, one poll does it, but then everyone copies and follows. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's this, I don't know if you read the 2016 GQ article, but it's got a kind of sneering tone to it. Yeah, I did. I, did. I read that. I think they got me involved in it. They called me and then, you know, to they ask a few questions. Yeah, yeah. I got. I, I mean, I got to say to you here. You know, um, you probably know all this, and and I will comment on this or what everything you want to know. But um, it's a platinum single in England. Platinum single, six hundred thousand. It was number one at Christmas again with yeah. Lad Baby. With Lad Baby, you know, yeah. and and I and we are up there. So we built the city is up there with all the Christmas number ones, which is huge for me and my mum because but that's what it is. We used to live for the Christmas number ones. And it's been in the English charts three times on different adverts and stuff. So whatever anybody says, this song, if you, but particularly people that have never heard it before, I'll just go there. It's like the kids in England for the, there was a telephone ad with a girl driving yeah. a bicycle and it took it into the charts again, straight into 23 or something. And all the young people, and especially when Lad Baby released it, all the kids at Christmas all sat around the table singing it. They have no idea of Starship. No idea of the, of the politics. They just love the song. Anfield, Liverpool, Christmas. They're blaring it through and all the people are singing it at Anfield, which is a big deal for me because of football. And you go, that's nothing to do with GQ, which doesn't exist anymore. And all this stupid stuff and politics that goes around the edges of it, it's quite laughable. And in a way, it helped us because it's made We Built the City something else. Everybody sort of looks at it in a very strange way and they fight about it. I love it. I hate it. I hate it. I love it. And uh, that's pretty, pretty cool that, that that happens. You know, I, we go to the bank after that when everybody's so excited about it in some in some corners. But I, I, I judge I, people who say they hate it because they're clearly people that don't think for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I don't know. Because yeah. you get any group of people together and play this song in any mm. office or any pub or anywhere and they will all sing along. People genuinely Absolutely love this yeah, song. Yeah. But there's this yeah. view of it. It's very easy. And I think part of it really is... 
the lyrics is the the subject of the lyrics because songs about rock music tend to get kind of criticized a lot because it's kind of like well you know you prob- you you're, you're probably seeing that quite clearly you know and you've definitely given it some thought but I, I believe you're right you know people like to say I don't like it I hate it but there they are humming it and singing it and, and saying everyone will sing along with it you put it on I've yeah, seen yeah. everyone sings along with it because it's a you know, my, one, one of my melody one of my, one, of my, one of my best friends is Jack Hughes from Wang Chung and when they did this chart supposedly of the 10 worst songs ever recorded of all time <laughs> in the universe ever <laughs> from, the, from Neanderthal Man up to this point <laughs> um, my song was number one, and uh, every everybody have fun by Jack, my mate. He was second. My, me and my best mate, we've written the two worst songs known to man. And I called him and said, "But you're number two, mate, and I'm <laughs> number one." <laughs> <laughs> I would even like consider them not like great. Yeah, let alone oh, annoys me. There's an interesting quote from the guitarist of of Starship, Craig Chiquico. Yeah, yeah uh, I think you're right. Yeah, he says the song says we built the city on live music. Let's bring it back, but the music is computerized. It complains about techno pop. It's a techno techno pop song. It exemplifies the problem. It's protesting. There's an interesting yeah. point. That, that's yeah. the kind of dichotomy of the song. What do you think? Yeah, but I mean, you know, I mean, what are you going to go for? You know, when, when we were in the studio, Craig, lovely man, everybody who loved us doing the programming at that time. And Peter Wolf was using a synclavier and he's trying to, trying to take this old band that really had nothing going for it. RCA were about to drop. And if you were not going to move into the future, you were not going to compete until, you know, we know that in the 80s, the Beatles weren't happening. You know, McCartney wasn't happening. If you were going to compete and you wanted to compete, which Starship wanted to, and I know that Craig had met me a few times and like, oh man, you know, we're so pleased with this album. They picked Peter Wolf because he was a great keyboardist who used a synclavia and could help them by saying, the drummer can't play this. I'm going to have to make this this way. And if we're going to get on the radio, we want to compete and we want to hit. Do you want to hit, guys? Yes. Well, we have to do it this way. Do you agree? Yes. It's only after the fact, like you say, Mark, it's after the effect. You know, it's after it's all happened that people have these views. At the moment, around that time, and I was there, people would have chopped their hands off to have had a number one. And it had to have a tech sound about it. The video was good. The video was really good. People like to laugh about it, but it really made its point. So, yes, it's 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 that. You can all be very noble, can't we, at the end? You know, it's like me. I could sit here and say, the demo is better. It's not. It's a different creature. Mm. It's a different thing. Everything was you programmed. You can enjoy the... both equally. Absolutely. And everything was programmed on the demo, but pl- tried to make it feel a little bit sort of, you know, like, I mean, Peter Gabriel shot the monkey. It's all programmed, you know. Uh, it's the way you do it. You know, yes, when I heard the record of We Built the City, I thought, well, it's a little bit, clean and and uh, not as dirty as i'd like it to be and and it's a, it's very pristine and very high tech and mixed in a certain way but all those records were you know all those big hits that were happening in the 80s you could see we no longer were we ready to hear journey playing live you know no longer were we really wanting to hear maybe boss gags or toto toto when they had a hit it was again africa and it was a drum machine and a lot of it was programmed so you had to move with the flow if you sat, if you were going to say, I'm Johnny Mitchell, and I never want to do anything like that. And I want to play an acoustic guitar forever. You weren't going to get the record company behind you and you weren't going to have a career. We all have to move with the waves and the technology and uh, technology uh, rules a lot of how music is presented. You know, and I'm sure the people you've interviewed, these great, you know, Hugh Padgham and the great people you have, you know, you can see that technology is what musicians have to work with and they have to, and it changes, you know, no longer are we on cassettes. We're no longer really on an analog. We're on protons. If we don't go with that, we do not carry on working. Technology is is the river that we all row down. And so, you know, really, really, as you say, it's after the fact that people like to say these things. And true, it's a great gimmick and it's great fun to knock a song, you know, and you've got to laugh about it. I don't take it at all serious. I, I, you know, my, my manager and the people around me get a little bit annoyed, but I go, it's just crap. It's just just crap what they're talking. You know, it's it's no big deal. It's uh, that the song is always, the, the key here, Mark, is that when the song is recorded, came out a few times in England, 
And nobody knows who Starship really is. Nobody knows the politics of their, their history. And the kids love it. They love it. It's a good song. And that's, you know, a good pop song is a great thing. And again, like Ghostbusters, um, although my demo is a little dark, there's a lot of people that um, get a lot of joy from We Built the City and they get some going and it lifts their spirits. And as you say, on a karaoke night and in a pub late at night, you put on Bohemian Rhapsody and they're all going to sing it. You put on We Built the City, they're all going to sing it. That yeah. is something that lifts people's spirits. It's good. Excellent. Absolutely. And yeah. Everybody doesn't like it is the sheep, basically. That's what we're saying. Yeah, well, I, you, you, I think a lot of the things you, you pointed out there are, are really, really right. They're on the nose. For me, when Lad Baby even did that funny version of it, you know, they, they didn't change the music, but we had, to, we had to talk to Bernie and say, how do you feel about, you know, we built uh, this city on hot, was it sausage rolls? Sausage rolls, yeah. And Bernie went, yeah, you went, it's fine by me. You know, it's a good spirit. It's okay. It's a good song. And I mean, everybody gravitated to it again. And it really, musically, is the same song. We built this city. We built this city on sausage rolls. We built this city. Come on, babe. We built this city on sausage rolls. It's not bad, that. It's all right, yeah. My lyrics are epic, aren't they? Stay in tune. Yeah, you can't get and there's I've got video of kids around the Christmas table that are about six years old and they're singing, you know, Marconi plays the mamba. And I'm going, that's, and they're, they're, eating, their, they're eating their Christmas Christmas stuffing and they're having a good time. That's brilliant. It's brilliant. Ages of quick fire round. Excellent. That takes us to our, our quick fire round then. So I, I can be the first question. What is the best version of it you've heard? Uh, my demo, without a doubt. Excellent. Okay. Um, yeah. Who would you most like to cover it? Oh, that's an interesting question. I, you know, I, I'd love. Crazy enough, it comes top of my head. I, I'd love to. I'd love to have heard a good reggae band do "We Built the City" and, and change it. Oh. You know, I'd, I'd love to hear a, a different rhythmic version of it. So I suppose I would like to. He's not around now, but I'd like to have heard Toots and the Maytales have a go at it. Uh, it might be too many chords for them, but I do think there's a there's a there could be a good dub version, a reggae dub heavy version of We Built the City. They, I've seen some uh, people do broken down versions of it, and it's been in a few shows on England, uh, sorry, in America, which is a little bit underground, and, and they portray it in a slightly dark way. And I think dub, a dub version of We Built the City, with its political connotations, could be fun to listen to, yeah. That would be fun, yeah. Weirdest place you've heard it? Uh, that's an interesting question again. It's a tough one. I think, um, I'm just thinking here, because I know we've got, it was in a couple of movies as well. I think I think I was, um, no, that's right. Yeah, I went to watch football, the Galaxy play, uh, the LA Galaxy football team. Yeah. And um, we were up, in, we were up in, in, the, in the stand and, and uh, you know, when MLS, American football, uh, soccer was just beginning and they blasted it out in the speakers. And I remember thinking, oh, I feel real good about that. I was in a little box watching mm -hmm. the game and my song was being played while Americans were trying to play soccer. So it was good fun. That. I've done <laughs> <usual>. <laughs> oh, that's life, isn't it? <laughs> uh, most surprising person to come up to you and say they loved the song. I suppose I'd have to put that down to um, my cousins back in England. I don't know my cousins too well. I, I, I've found I've suddenly been written to by cousins that I didn't know existed. And um, I know a, a cousin came into my life about two years ago and they wrote to me and said, you know, we're, we're your cousin. And we love We Built This City. So that that was nice. I was like, who the hell are you? What, do you need cash or something? And, <laughs> yeah. You know, was that the next then, thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they, they also, <laughs> I've got to say this, is that, um, my, that, my, that cousin was also involved with kids at a school. And I, they made me do a video for the kids. And um, as soon as I said We Built This City, the kids in an English school sang the song. Oh. Back, back to me and they were you know, eight years old nine years old you know oh. so that that was unusual that was unusual they were being hit with sticks at that time <laughs> whatever <laughs> it takes yeah yeah whatever it takes works yeah stay in tune <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh the thing you most love about the song um it's it's a uh, melodic content melodic i think uh, it's a it's a hugely melodic track every part of it right from the right from the verse to the bridge uh, to the chorus every part of the song is melodic and memorable. And I think every part of the song is a hook. So I, that's what I'm very proud about that song. You can play the verse and people are going to sing it. Yeah. You can play the Marconi part, people are going to sing it. They can sing the chorus. And uh, I think that's what I'm very proud about with that. And, and with these dreams, everything about the song. And when I was 
it's not always the way when you're writing songs. You find a good chorus, but the rest of it doesn't, maybe not memorable. But um, I think everything in We Built the City is a hook. Exactly. Perfect. And finally, your three words to describe how you feel about We Built the City. Oh, just massively grateful. Massively grateful. It's been a brilliant song for me. You know, it's, it is the song that I'll be known for, I'm sure. It, it's the it's very rarely does a writer have a chance to write something like we've talked about Ghostbusters and We Built the City has that thing about it. So I just feel ever so grateful. It's been a terrific song for me. There's much more positivity than negativity. Nobody can knock um, how iconic it's become. And I never dreamed in all my life that I would have, have written a song that is known by everybody I speak to. I mean, it's very rare that nobody knows that song. Even in, you know, in America, I can walk into a shop and for some reason, you know, I'll be talking and they say, what do you do? And you've mentioned that song and everything's, they know it. And that, that's yeah. a really weird feeling. Yeah. And the other thing is for me, you know, I, is having a number one at Christmas in England. That thrilled me because my mum and I grew up in England and we waited to see what the number one was in England. So I've got a chart that I put on the wall that my manager got for me (laughs) and it's got all the number ones in England, you know, starting off right from the 50s and all the Beatles. And there we are. You know, we built the city is up there with I Feel Fine and some of the Beatles hits that were number one constantly. And, uh, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody and and, uh, Merry Christmas, the Christmas song by by, um, Slade and and, um, John Lennon's, you know, war is over to see to see that title we built the city uh, as a christmas number one i just it it knocks i, I don't think americans appreciate that but for england uh, the significance of a christmas number one is a particularly british thing isn't it yes it is and so that you know secretly that just blew my head off because I, I even though it was singing about sausage rolls it was our song and our melody and we were we were the songwriters of it so that yeah it's uh that's what I that's that's what I remember as being so important. Um, and uh, even in my own head as a songwriter, I'm, I'm sure you'll get that from other pe- other writers. You, you know, you, you can imagine when Paul McCartney will say yesterday, you know, it'd be something for, for me to have one song, just one that stands up in that uh, that league of remembrance is a is a is a strange thing because I've, I've always wanted to be a songwriter, but I never thought I'd have a, a song that you've only got to say we built this city. And it goes like, again, Ghostbusters or Let It Be, you know, or Bridge Over Trouble Water. They're all brilliant songs. But for the song to become something that is beyond the song, it becomes a statement, a thing that people know, like a Mars bar. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird. It's weird and it's wonderful. And I feel very fortunate. It's been a great, great song for me. Also, you don't know you're doing it when you do it. You know, you don't have that. And you don't think it could be that when you're doing it. So when it reveals itself over years and years and years, and I mean, in the last two years, it's been as strong a song for me in movies and adverts and stuff as it was when I it got, it's got stronger as the time's gone on, which means its longevity is touching young people. Three generations of people have over 30 years have made that a hit. That means kids have been discovering it over the last in the last couple of years. And I wrote that th- over 30 years ago. It's a weird thing. It's, it's beautiful, but weird. This is the end of the interview. Thank you very much. So thanks again to Martin and Diana's manager for arranging the interview. There'll be a full My Tisography episode with Martin in the near future. In the meantime, you can check him out on his Radio Owls Nest podcast, which is really good. Uh, and there's also Twitter, Facebook, and martinpage.com. So say hello to him there. Uh, a couple of things sprang out while editing this episode. One is how uh, the co-writers Dennis Lambert and the producer Peter Wolf earned their quarter of the publishing each. Because as, as Martin says in the interview, as we discussed, 90% of the melody is Martin's bits. The repetition of that title line that turns it from a great pop song into an anthem. So it was an integral part of the song. So in that sense, it's a true collaboration. The other thing is what a great tune it is. And how indestructible a great tune is. You want to lose now, check out all the cover versions of We Built the City on YouTube. And it demonstrates the point. And it doesn't matter the treatment. It works because of the strength of that melody like this piano version listening to now lovely um or how about in medieval style see it doesn't matter a great tune can work in any arrangement and uh, 
We built the city as a perfect example of that. And we further demonstrated by the version we'll play out with and also versioned right at the very end of the episode, for which I apologize in advance to Martin for. And it's only and purely because it made my son laugh and to demonstrate the point then no matter how puerile the lyric no, I don't mean that one the melody shines eternal so um next up will be a my etisography producers chat I haven't done one of those for a while that's coming up in the meantime check out this version this kind of folky union song style version of we built the city by mighty good road uh, that actually gets uh, kudos 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 how do you say that word just check it out kudos 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 for saying Marconi plays the mambo which may have been as we discussed Bernie's intention so uh, check this one out and uh, uh, I'll see you soon bye say you don't know me recognize my face Say you don't care who goes to that kind of place Knee deep in the hoopla Sinking in your fight Too many runaways Eating up the night Marconi played the mambo Listen to the radio Don't you remember we built this city We built this city on rock and roll Built this city We built this city on rock and roll Built this city We built this city on rock and roll Someone's always playing Corporation games Too bad they're always changing Corporation names We just came to dance here But someone stole the stage They call us irresponsible Write us off the page Marconi played the mambo Listen to the radio Don't you remember We built this city We built this city on rock and roll Built this city We built this city on rock and roll Built this city We built this city on rock and roll another Sunday. On some tired old street. The police have got the chokehold. And we, well, we just lost the beat. Yes. Who counts the money? Underneath the bar Who rides the wrecking ball Into our guitars Don't say that you need us Because we're that ship of fools Coming to America Crawling through your schools Don't you remember We built this city We built this city on rock and roll Built this city We built this city on rock and roll Built this city We built this city on rock and roll And you all have tried to write uh, a part, but haven't been as successful, huh? 
No, that's not true. Actually, Bernie is... Um, I've never written a hit song for anybody else. I mean, I've written hit songs with a guy called Gary Osborne with Blue Eyes Fuzz for me. Bernie's written hit songs for other people. We built this city. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and these dreams for heart. So he's been very successful. I, on the other hand, have struck out terribly. I think, yeah, but to, to, not, to give him credit, though, I think I've had more opportunity to do that, you know, because he's been involved with so much, you know, so many other things. And there have been times when I've had lapses in time where I've been able to do that. So I think for that reason, I've had a better shot at doing it, really. Yeah.